Good morning. Am I on? Okay, good. I got on the train at Haifa, and I was surrounded by Israeli army troops getting on the train, uh, and it was crowded. And I found myself sitting opposite a very pretty uh, Israeli lady soldier. And I was quite intimidated, not by the prettiness, but by the fact that sitting in front of me, she had a great big Uzi machine gun. And she, most unusually, uh, said, what are you doing here? And uh, a conversation started that went on for about 40 minutes as we traveled down to Tel Aviv. And I said to her, I'm here to see the site of one of your greatest prophets. And she said, who's that? I said, you know him, don't you, Elijah? Never heard of Elijah in my life, she said. So for 40 minutes, the whole carriage heard about Elijah. And uh, her name was Esther. I still pray for her. Elijah was born into a horrific spiritual situation. Uh, Ahab was on the throne. He had taken a very wicked woman, the arch typical of evil. He'd taken Jezebel as his wife. And the country had fallen into moral and spiritual declines, the wrong word. It, ha it was in a terrible mess. You know Elijah thought he was the only one. He wasn't, but he thought he was the only one that was still loyal to God. But in that situation, there was one godly family. They lived up in Gilead, right at the uh, southern edge of where the uh, River Jordan flows out of the Sea of Galilee down south to the Dead Sea in a place called Tishbe in Gilead. And they were godly parents. Baal was worshipped and you don't want to go there. Child, sacrifice, prostitution. It was as debased as religion can ever get. But Mr. and Mrs. Forgive me, Elijah had a baby boy. And they called him Elijah. El, God, Yah, Yahweh. Our God is Yahweh. So somewhere in the middle of that declension and horrific spiritual situation, there was one family, one man, who was actually going to turn the whole situation around. Now, I haven't got time to talk this morning. I think I took nine sermons to preach through Elijah. I haven't got time to talk about his background training, it's hinted at in the scripture how God taught him to hear the voice of God and how he became obedient to the voice of God, how God provided and protected for him in unlikely places. You remember the story of Zarephath and uh, you remember all the rest of the ways when he was a brook cherith. Where I've actually paddled my toes, but that's another story. And to that man, was given a unique challenge. He understood God's covenant. 
And if you think it just arbitrarily decided he was going to say it's not going to rain for three years, you miss the whole spiritual point. If you go back to the old Levitical law back in Leviticus 26, those opening verses, you'll see that God had said, rain is my is in my control. Right? And that is still true today. The natural forces are still under God's control. I know they're affected by evil and I know all, the, all that, but they're still under God's control. And he knew, because obviously God in some way had revealed it to him, that God would keep his word. And at his word, a drought came. Terrible drought. Terrible famine. And in that situation, Ahab kept on searching for Elijah. Eventually, three years passed by. You'll need to read the story yourselves. I've glossed over it appallingly quickly. He goes to, to Mount Carmel, which was where I met Esther, at the foot of Mount Carmel. And there is a massive confrontation, a power encounter, we would say, between the forces of evil and the forces of good. Yahweh still is more powerful than Baal. And as I travel around the world, I've had reason on many, many occasions to see the power of God demonstrate to those who are watching that he is more powerful than the power of evil. We don't live in a world that is controlled by two equal forces. Amen? Amen. If that was not true, God help you and God help me. We live in a, as Christians under the control and the direction, the support, the sustenance of a powerful God. And Elijah takes the situation on to Mount Carmel and defeats and decimates the prophets of Baal. And all the people turn back to God. <laughs> Did they? Not at all. And that leads us to our passage. Because Elijah was frustrated with God. Am I the only one here who has ever been frustrated with God? Yeah, I'm the only sinner, I can see that. When God does something and you don't understand why, and when he doesn't do something that he obviously ought to do, if I only ran the universe the way I could do this job, God help us. He was frustrated. The people had not turned back. You know the story? I've been there. From Mount Carmel, the rain comes, the promised rain, the intercessory prayer of Elijah is another fascinating story. The rain comes. And he tells Elijah, get on your chariot and get home quickly. And if you go from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, it's 23 miles. I've been on a bus through a fuller and right past Megiddo to there. Elijah yanked up his long cloak and he ran all the way ahead of the chariot to Jezreel. Right? That sounds awfully like a marathon. We haven't got Alan Muscat with us this morning. For those of us who managed to jog four or five miles, well, I've got Ray with us. Could jog four or five miles, 23 miles. He was absolutely exhausted when he got there. 
God hadn't done what he wanted God to do. He was physically exhausted. And for the very first time, and you need to read the text carefully, he didn't wait to hear the voice of God. Right? He didn't wait to hear the voice of God, and he acted out of fear. Courageous men can be fearful, right? I have always admired moral courage. Physical courage can almost be when you dissociate your brain, but moral courage is profound. Something happened. We don't know. He'd lost touch with God. God had frustrated him. He hadn't done what he had expected God to do. And he ran away. Any other people run away? Yeah? We've all done it. It's probably been hidden. Maybe not. Run away. Because God seems to have let you down. I still mentor a significant number of young ministers, or not so young ministers. Every time I see them, I will ask them about their eating habits and their sleep. I will ask them about their sense of frustration with God. And I will ask them about what the last thing God said to them was, or is saying to them. Because that's where the situation broke. He was frustrated, he was exhausted, he didn't wait for the voice of God, and he ran. Even when we're running away, God's still sovereign. Yes? Hallelujah. He had angels to look after him, to care for him. He needed food. He needed water. He needed space. Now, I mustn't get into reactive depression this morning because I only had two hours to preach, didn't I, this morning? Only two. But there's some fascinating parallels between the story of Elijah and reactive depression, how that comes. And I'm told by statistics that at least half of us here in some way have experienced that at some stage very real, horribly painful, including your preacher. He runs, runs away. Forty days it took him to get to where God ultimately was going to re-engage with him. He must have been, you can almost imagine the person he was. He must have felt guilty. He must have given himself an awful hard time. From the top of Mount Carmel, where he'd seen God vindicate him and vindicate himself, now he is, he is on his own. Pray to all the memories of what's happened to him. And actually, because of his own, quote, stupidity, spiritually. Physical exhaustion, admittedly. Spiritual inattention. 
and he tried to tell God how to run his universe. And uh, just, just let me advise you on the matter, and I'm speaking to myself, God doesn't always do exactly what you tell him to do. Thankfully. In there, there's a fascinating prayer. In the middle of his exhaustion, in the middle of his running away, he prays a prayer, Lord, I've had enough, take me home. People do feel suicidal. They do. That might be you, I don't know. Aren't you glad God hasn't answered every stupid prayer you've ever prayed? Yeah? And God didn't answer that prayer because he hadn't finished with Elijah. 40 days he goes to the to the cave. He's probably beating himself up as I've already said. With some justification. But God doesn't deal with guilt or, or go, go in for guilt. He goes in for grace mercifully. Yes? Amen? Thank God. And so he re-engages, does God, this almighty God who's in control of the situation, who's sovereign. He re-engages with Elijah. And uh, yes, of course God speaks with fire. God's in the dramatic. Can he speak through an earthquake? Of course. Those of us who've been there in very minor ones don't want to ever be in a major one. But I'll tell you something from my own personal experience. This is partly a function of my own personality, but it is certainly something that is true of human nature, and it's the way God deals with us. More often than not, in situations like that, God speaks with a still, small voice. C.S. Lewis had it right. God shouts at us. Uh, God, 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 no, I've got the to get the quotation wrong he sort of speaks to us through our pain but so often it's that still small voice because you've got to be still to hear it and maybe he's had 40 days to remember that he did recognize the voice of God he'd forgotten to wait on Mount Carmel or a Jezreel for God's voice to tell him what he what is was he wanted but he still remembered. And the voice comes back. Remember he prayed that God would take his life. And God didn't answer that prayer. Because God had something so miraculous for Elijah. And you know how he entered heaven, don't you? Yeah? It's taken up to heaven. But not before God had given him the final instructions. Yes, God had done what he wanted with and through Elijah, but the work wasn't finished. There were lots of people who were still loyal to Yahweh. Elijah didn't know about them. There were 7,000 of them amongst that country. But God, uh, God had, through Elijah, a unique task to appoint his successor, to anoint the new king uh, who was to, uh, 
to deal with all the mess that Ahab had made, and you need to go back to your Old Testament to read the rest of the story. He was to appoint Elisha. I'm in the middle of trying to help a very big organization to think about succession planning. God has his way of preparing what he wants and who he wants, and that's exactly what he did. A flawed human being, a man of God. And Esther, bless her, listen to me pontificate about that for 40 minutes. And all those soldiers heard this story, and I pray for them this day, and I pray for you. But God has continuity always in mind. So we're going to finish with our final song. And you must know where I'm going to go with this one. These are the days of Elijah. Stand with me.